I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 65 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times weekly politics podcast. This week, we're here with Seattle Times transportation reporter and downright expert Mike Lindblom. He's going to tell us about what is being called the period of maximum constraint on Seattle streets as a bunch of construction projects get underway. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Dan. So what is the period of maximum constraint? That sounds like some strange term out of a movie or something, but it basically just means traffic is going to be really horrible down in downtown Seattle? Yes, it is. It's going to be worse than it is now. And by traffic, we're not just talking about car congestion, but uh, buses that will be detoured into slower routes and light rail trains that are supposed to absorb some of the additional growth that we're having. But the fleet is not going to increase enough to carry everybody comfortably until 2021. Well, we should say, let's put some some times on this. When when does this period considered to to begin or, or have begun? Well, there's no official proclamation, but basically it began last week when concrete cutting crews uh, started to carve into the intersection of First and Jackson and Pioneer Square to start the city's new 177 million dollar streetcar extension through First Avenue. And and who who actually came up with the term period of maximum constraint? What what is that about anyway? Well, I don't know which individual did, but it was produced by government planners as part of an effort called One Center City, which purports to unite all of the different things that are going on into one integrated group. But it's really not. It's mostly improvisation with a few projects that are coordinated. I don't know the individual that came up with this, but it's it's an, an apt description as any. Constraint meaning people and, and, and cars and buses are going to be constrained, they have their movement constrained? Well, by constraint, they're talking about the capacity of all the modes of transportation being limited because streets will be torn up for private towers, the convention place expansion that will take up part of Olive Way and make it hard for Snohomish County buses to escape downtown in the evening, and uh, several other uh, projects, including demolition of the viaduct. Yeah. And so we we want to actually, yeah, we want to get into some of those projects. And you, you wrote about this. We should say there's a package that appeared in the Seattle Times, seattletimes.com, with, with a map where, you know, the, the different projects are sort of described and people can zoom in on the map and it explains, you know, when these projects are beginning, kind of what's going on, try to give people a roadmap for this period of constraint that lies ahead. And Mike, you described it in that story as, uh, you know, a period when moving through one of America's most cramped downtowns will take a backseat to growth while road construction and utility crews block lanes, private towers sprout like chia and transit capacity lags. So let's get into, you know, what are people going to see? You mentioned some of these projects that are starting up. What are some of the major ones? I mean, they've been in the headlines before, but they're all kind of coming together at the same time. What what is, what what are the biggest projects that are coming online that people are going to affect people's commute soon? Well, one project that affects a whole lot of the others is the Highway 99 tunnel. The Alaskan Way Viaduct is going to close probably November of this year so that ramps between the surface and the tunnel can be attached in South Lake Union and in Soto. That work requires tearing down the temporary, and by temporary I mean a seven-year ramp that goes up to the viaduct from Soto. 
So you're going to have a period of four, maybe five weeks when there is no viaduct and no tunnel. Buses are going to run through Soto and then uh, up First Avenue. The tunnel will open then in January of 2019 or so, and that will be an improvement for drivers that are going through downtown, heading toward uh, Green Lake, the Ship Canal, and so forth. But there will no longer be Belltown exits and no longer a direct path from the south end to Inner Bay and Ballard. And from the north end, there will not be a highway path that goes from Magnolia and Belltown down toward Soto and the airport. Right. And, and for that time when there's no tunnel yet uh, and there's also no viaduct, so no Highway 99 in downtown Seattle, how is that, gonna, that period going to interact with the other projects going on during that time? Well, the most fascinating of these comes a little bit later. The streetcar construction on First Avenue is in a race to get done before the tunnel opens. So what's going to happen is the crew there tears up First Avenue, puts new concrete with the rails in it in the interior lanes of First Avenue, and then they're going to leave the scene. And supposedly, general traffic and buses are going to have four lanes of First Avenue to use during the year 2019 while the viaduct is being demolished at the waterfront and there is no surface Alaskan Way Boulevard. So all of that congestion, that traffic is supposed to use First Avenue. And then in 2020, the streetcar arrives, they kick a lane of general traffic in each direction off of First Avenue, and supposedly the boulevard will be ready by then. So, I mean, what are the projections for that that period? Do people think that, you know, people are just going to have to maybe plan not to drive downtown or through downtown as much? Or is there a time element being put on the added delay that would occur during that period? Well, it's all evolving. I don't have decent estimates for how much longer it will take you to cross downtown. And I think the uh, government agencies are really wrestling with this. The original plan was for buses to stop at Pioneer Square Station at uh, Yesler and 3rd Avenue, everybody to get out and then hop on a train to go to Westlake Station, South Lake Union, and then a bunch of other buses were going to go up the new Yesler Way Bridge to the First Hill Hospitals. Well, they've more or less scrapped that and decided they're just going to run all of the West Seattle White Center Burien buses. They serve about 30,000 people a day, that those would just run up First Avenue. Uh, after everything's all done, they're supposed to go along the Waterfront Boulevard and then go back to 3rd Avenue through Columbia Street, which right now is being torn up and rebuilt. That is three to four minutes longer than what people are used to now, where buses use the viaduct. It sounds very complicated. What about the uh, Washington State Convention Center expansion? And I think that's going to affect uh, the bus tunnel, right? And that's a whole other factor that gets thrown into the mix here. Right. And the convention place project, convention center project, is sort of the catalyst for a lot of these other changes. It's a, a billion six project, doubles the size of the state convention center. There is a, an, a huge convention center building and uh, a hotel and an office building all in the area along Olive Way. Olive Way and uh, nearby Stewart Street, Howell Street, those diagonal streets are the main way that people from Snohomish County get in and out of their downtown commutes. So those folks are going to be delayed. Light rail is not supposed to reach Linwood until 2024. Sound Transit has already lost a year due to its own rising costs and the Trump administration. Northgate 
station opens in 2021, but they are not going to have Snohomish County buses feeding into Northgate Station because they feel like that's too cumbersome and Northgate Station doesn't have room. So that's going to be a lot of turmoil if you live in Snohomish County and commute to a job in downtown Seattle. And there are other projects going on. You mentioned uh, on 3rd Avenue downtown, people might know that certain periods of time, you, you're not supposed to drive in there in a car. It's a bus only, but that's going to be expanded, right, Mike, to all day? That's been talked about as a scenario. I mean, right now, the city isn't even expanding it past 630. At 6.30, general traffic goes in there and changes lanes and cuts off the buses, and it's pretty much a mess down there. But uh, yeah, I mean, one option that they could consider is making it all bus all day long. I don't think Politically, the city will go there, but they could extend it till 7 p.m. or something. All right. So, okay. So it was just a, that's just an option then. Right. But uh, but other projects being you know sprouting up around the area, the Coleman Dock rebuild on the waterfront is that going to affect? Again, it's another waterfront center project. People maybe going down, trying to get on ferries, trying to just get about in that part of town. Yeah. Well, the Coleman Dock project has already been underway since the summertime. Pretty soon, the new passenger terminal will be under construction, and that'll create some changes for people as they approach and walk up to the ferries. But traffic, uh, general traffic has already been detouring a whole lot, even making a U-turn around the Madison Street area to get into the ferry terminal property. So I don't know that that if you're using the ferry that things will get much tougher than they are now. They will keep the pedestrian bridge open throughout all the construction, the pedestrian bridge from First Avenue over to the ferry terminal, which is a very busy way to get there. I'm just going to name some of the other projects. There's a 4th Avenue bike lane that's proposed. There's a new tower being built downtown that, that's going to affect things. There's a, a rapid ride express bus bus lane plan for Madison Street. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Uh, yes, it does. And uh, the, the tower, for instance, 58 stories high. Uh, it's the largest building among 110 buildings that are either proposed or underway in South Lake Union plus downtown. And we chose that not only for its distinctive boot shape, but as an emblem of all the private construction that is still sort of midstream in South Lake Union and downtown. You've heard maybe some headlines about the economy slowing. Well, it's it's only slowing to a medium growth rate instead of an extreme growth rate. Relative. A lot of stories about how Seattle has more cranes than any other, I think, downtown in the country. So all, all of this construction in commercial development is sort of going on at the same time that you've got some major transportation projects. So you mentioned earlier, you know, there's this one center city plan or schematic and that it's sort of to give people the impression that this is all part of a great plan and that the city and regional transportation planners have maybe worked it out. Is it really that though? Or is it, I mean, have they, have they really planned this all together? Or is it just a confluence of things that happen to come together at the same point in part because some projects, as you mentioned, have been delayed. I'm old enough to remember when Chris Gregoire said, the, I think the uh, Alaskan Way Viaduct was going to come down in 2012, no matter what. Well, I mean, that didn't happen. So but talk about the, the planning that has gone into this or the, or the lack of. Well, that's somewhat of a subjective question, but yeah, it's more of a confluence than a plan that was conceived and organized from the outset. That said, there are parts of it where Metro, the city, the state are coordinating with each other. We talked about the streetcar construction phasing being one of them. Another one is this 4th Avenue bike lane. That put pressure on general traffic and the buses. So one bus lane is being added to part of 5th Avenue to take pressure off the buses on 4th. So there is some coordination and planning 
The thing to, to look for as a traveler down here is that is the near impossibility of having all these projects get started and finished at the exact months or weeks when folks are, are planning to do them. Maybe there'll be an extra two-week delay putting the ramps onto the Highway 99 tunnel, or maybe the streetcar concrete won't cure fast enough in the northern part of downtown. All kinds of things can happen where not all of these projects are going to line up as designed. Right. So something's probably going to go wrong, or it's very possible that multiple things will go wrong. You know, you mentioned in your story that during the mayoral campaign, Jenny Durkin, the new mayor of Seattle, said uh, she was telling warning voters, yeah, you know, uh, congestion is going to get worse before it gets better. And she said it won't be the mayor's fault, sort of, I think, looking ahead and and knowing that some people were going to probably blame her if she became mayor. If it's not her and she shouldn't be blamed, who is the one person who's in charge of all of this, or or is it not that simple? Is there a leader who who we should be looking to here? Well, the person with the most political power overall in this situation is County Executive Dal Constantine, who made the convention center deal during a period where the rest of the downtown network is in transportation turbulence. Now, there are reasons to do it. For one thing, you lock down the construction costs before they spiral any further. There's also the pressure and the enthusiasm to get more construction labor jobs going. And of course, the hotel industry, hotels are growing while the convention center is not. So there are reasons for optimists to think that this is a good deal and you should just rush it and adapt to it rather than delay that. Sound Transit ordered uh, a $600 million plus fleet of rail cars aiming for Northgate Link in 2021, but they're not going to be ready a moment sooner than that. That was all planned and conceived in isolation, not understanding how fast demand for light rail capacity was going to grow. So anyway, nobody, I mean, Dow faced token opposition in the last election campaign. Apparently, the the pro-growth sentiment or the political forces for growth, they're strong enough yeah. for it not to be a problem I, I don't politically. Think he, I, don't, I think that on, in the primary, there was a chance that he could have just, he could have faced good space guy in the general election, the the man who uh, runs for a lot of offices, you see him on the ballot, never wins, but he, he actually got, I think, a Republican opponent. But, you know, that's an interesting point, Mike. You know, there's not a lot of political pushback in the, in the Seattle area, is there, to sort of doing all of these projects. And, you know, the, there's a belief here, I think, that, you know, people will vote for higher taxes to improve the infrastructure. And so there's no really pushback for most of the politicians like Dow Constantine to do anything but seek very large packages. You know, Sound Transit 3 was, remind me, the, the total package there. Yeah, uh, $54 billion over 25 years, of which $28 billion was new taxes. Do you think that political viewpoint sort of plays into to what's happened along with just the accident of good fortune of having a very hot economy in Seattle? Well, doing nothing isn't a good option either, right? And we've seen Seattle meet all of its growth in employment and housing by non-driving modes, more more buses, more sidewalks, the rebuild of Mercer Street, which primarily increased walking capacity, didn't improve car capacity by much, if any. So doing nothing's not an option. If you had a, a Republican county executive, that executive might pursue convention growth and be really 
stoked about increasing tourism and bringing it out of town tax base. I mean, that's not necessarily a partisan issue. Well, really quickly, one thing I wanted to ask about was uh, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin is is now looking for a new Department of Transportation director. Is that going to be important who that person is uh, in in the big picture here when we're talking about this period of maximum constraint? Or is that person just going to be sort of another cog in the wheel of of this process that's already set in motion? Well, the, the new SDOT director could make a difference around the edges. The the broad theme of maximum constraint and 20 different projects and changes going on is not going to change. That's going to be something inherited. A new SDOT director might have influence on when bike lanes are built or if they're delayed a couple years. Uh, A place where SDOT directors can have a huge impact on obscure but meaningful policies such as do you scrape away all the curbside parking and make more zones for Uber, Lyft, cab drivers, drop-offs. Seattle has a massive shortage of drop-off and delivery zones. Uh, UPS package trucks, uh, other delivery trucks park in the bike lanes, double park in neighborhoods. There's a lot of chaos that goes on on a block-to-block level where the SDOT director can uh, lay down the law. Okay, so more of the small-scale stuff. They're not making more real estate, so that's just how to share what's what's still there, right? I mean, the physical, the geographic constraints of Seattle are, are real, right? It's not realistic to think that if you had a super pro-roads uh, mayor or politician that they could do much different, could they? Well, they could, they could try, but you would get neighborhood pushback, and the costs, of course, are extreme. You know, there's a the biggest shibboleth that you hear in reader comments is, oh, we should double-deck Interstate 5 and create some capacity. Well, if you go through there, like I have since 1966 or so, and look carefully, it's already double-decked. The express lanes go under, first they go under the southbound deck, then they go under the northbound deck. That's already double-decked. You have walls and pilings that keep Capitol Hill from sliding across I-5. Sound Transit actually punched through those and built its Capitol Hill tunnel successfully, by the way. So these things all sound, uh, you know, you, you don't just sprinkle magic fairy dust and build a bunch of car capacity through it sound, Seattle. It sounds good in comment threads, though, maybe. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and the counterpart to that or the counterpoint is there's urbanists in Seattle, of course, who say things like, I remember one suggesting, um, you know, you talk about the I-5 express lanes. We should just shut them down to cars and just have it be a big bicycle path greenway. So you've got that perspective in the city, too. Well, yeah, you know, you've got 700,000 people in the city and two million one in the county and you're going to get a a wide spectrum you know there's a more relevant argument to be had about whether seattle should continue to do road diets in the outlying fringe neighborhoods such as upper 35th avenue in west seattle or 35th northeast in wedgwood is there much to be gained by having a road diet and going from four lanes to to two plus a center lane for safety or do you really need that kind of uh, car capacity. That's that's a lot more relevant than wishing that downtown uh, had wider streets. So the so a big focus here, maybe to wrap up and look ahead, a big focus here in this big project that, that we've been talking about uh, that's on cltimes.com. Remember to check that out. You know, that was all focused on how bad things are going to be or how bad they could be and all these projects coming together during this one time and, and, and what that's going to mean. Well, what about eventually when all these projects are done. Is the result going to be something that really improves all of our lives and, and, and things are going to be great uh, and, and it's going to be a lot better? Or what, what are things going to look like when all these projects eventually are finished? Well, one result is that rail is going to be 
a more important means of transportation than it is now. Uh, Sound Transit is, I think, in the high 70s per day of, of ridership, which it's a, which is fast growth, but it's not a, a huge share of the population. But going to Northgate, uh, especially getting to Linwood, if that gets done, uh, it will have a, a great impact and remove the need for double-decker buses to be sitting empty on I-5 to return to downtown in the early afternoon and pick up people and then sit in on Olive Way for 30 or 40 minutes. So you'll see that'll make a difference. The city, it took until the Murray administration for city officials to say the obvious, which is that run out of space and everything has to be absorbed by not increasing car traffic. But by that point, uh, we'd already permitted, we the, the city had already permitted more than 11,000 new parking stalls in South Lake Union buildings. So some of these things that seem obvious in 2018 were not spoken in polite society until 2013-14. So in other words, when these projects are done, some things are going to be different and better. For example, we're going to have a more robust rail system and it's going to be better connected uh, with the other ways we get around. But it doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect. We're going to have all these new high-rises in South Lake Union with huge uh, underground parking garages and where are all those cars going to go when they leave those garages, right? Right. Yeah, the, the, the folks who are going to be worse off are going to be Southwestern, uh, Burien, SeaTac, Tukwila commuters that have a job in the in Inner Bay or the Ballard Industrial Areas, Fisherman Terminal, those folks. Nothing, nothing in here is going to make their life very good. Folks who will be better off, people who live fairly close to downtown, bike, bicycling routes will improve, buses should be as good or better than they are now. Some Snohomish County commuters are going to have much, much better rail options than they do now. Okay, and if that sounds confusing, go to seattletimes.com and check out the, the project because it, it really explains it well in a, in a concise and easy to digest and, and, and fun way even. Thanks for talking with us today, Mike. All right, thanks guys. That's a wrap for episode 65 of The Overcast. Thanks to our guest this week, Mike Lindblom. Thanks again to KNKX for having us in the studio to record. And we should also give a shout out to everyone else from the Seattle Times who worked with Mike on the big project about the period of maximum constraint. Those people were graphic designer Mark Nolan on animation, Jennifer Lexton developer Thomas Wilburn, project manager Laura Gordon, and editor Richard Wagoner. If you, if you like what you hear in the podcast, please consider supporting locally owned independent journalism. Go to seattletimes.com backslash support to look at subscription options. And if you want to reach us, you can give us a shout on Twitter at dbeekman at jim underscore bruner. Send us an email at seattletimesovercast at gmail.com. Make sure to listen and subscribe on iTunes. You can also listen pretty much anywhere else you hear podcasts. And until next week, have a cloudy day.